to call him like one take teddy like, one take no, teddy that's, that's right that's my nickname for him that was that was and, first and only take yeah and like he the, he's also just moved from queens to portland How, what, what great is he like first now first. yeah yeah he's uh yeah he's, new school and everything how's he, he getting along he's he's doing great you know he's he's, he's rolling the man. along yeah he's exactly exactly yeah. uh we, what do we got here we got uh Episode well, 99. Well, I'm going to play one take Clifton Chenier. Episode 99. 99. 99. Uh, this is like, um, it's just before like the year two, it's like the new, we're about to head into the new millennium. That's right. Uh, the new millennium. Uh, it's September 20th, 2019. We're nearing the end of the first century, Mike. That's right. Bob Nastanovich, Mike Hogan, Des Moines, yeah. Iowa, Portland, Oregon. And you're starting it off. Yeah, I'm going to play Clifton Chenier, the king of the Zotico. All right. Zotico music. Y- yeah. you want to intro, or do we want to just talk about it after? Yeah, no, just roll the song. We'll talk about it. I, you know, I love this guy. Can you imagine seeing this live right no, now? can't imagine. And like a, well, we'd be like in Houston or something, you know, the western end of the Cajun belt. He would have worked his way over there. We'd be like at a, what do you call those things, ice houses in Houston. You ever been to one of those in never, Houston? never. They're kind of these like semi outdoor bars where like the beer is like so perfectly iced and there's some great live music going on in the background. And like we're about to see Clifton, so we're a little nervous. This Clif- <laughs> this this Clifton Chenier, King of the King of the Sadico. Alright. And the song called uh, I'm not gonna pronounce the French version or the Cajun version. We'll do version. that afterwards. We'll do okay. that afterwards. Right. Yeah. Let's play it. Yeah.
Clifton Chenier. What year was that, Bob? Yeah, that would have been well, uh, 1976. That's off of Bogalusa Boogie. I mean, it was probably before then, but that's the album it came out on. Okay. Or Let's... maybe it wasn't because he was born in 54 in Opelousas. Yeah. Uh... He was even called it, but he was like, a, how the hell? He was No, he was born Can you play... before that, right? He, he was born in 25. Oh, yeah. No, I missed out on that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think he might have died at 54 is what I meant. That's called uh, Maple Food. They called me crazy. They called, that's a guy that could play the accordion like a monster. Yeah. His, bro- his brother played the washboard. And like for Sadako music, it's like some sort of unique blend of like Cajun and Creole roots music with R&B and jazz. And he, I mean, there's a lot of great Zydeco artists, but like he's the king. He is the king. He was even, they didn't even call him the king of the South. But that's a maple foo. But like the amazing thing about that was who knows if we ever would have heard it without the work of uh, Arhuli. Yeah, I know. I mean, like when some... you think about Arhuli, right? You know, and, and actually one of the best things I ever bought in my life, which eventually just got so damaged from partying around it, was the Arhuli box set. Which I think not that many of them were made. I think it, it was like six records with an amazing, uh, beautiful like folder like inside, and, and the stories. Like if I could have a record back that got lost in my life, it'd be the Arhuli box set. So it went through uh, Chris Strockwitz's entire life as as the guy that made Arhuli happen. Which, yeah. by the way, backed up by the Smithsonian Institution, like he's still alive. That's awesome. He's 88. Wow. You know, and he was born like in, uh, he was, I mean, he's actually born in a part of Germany, which is now part of Poland. And like his story is pretty amazing. Struck with so's, so's, uh, uh, how do you call it? You you called him, you called him a, like I, Phil Chenier was a great guard in the NBA. You called him Chenier. You called him Chenier. Chenier. I don't know. Didn't he? Oh, he's called Clifton Chenier. You know. Wasn't wasn't he saying his name in the song? Didn't he say Chenier? I don't know. Hell, he probably did, but you know, I would have missed that part. (laughs) But like, uh, you know. But uh, anyways, we're still waiting for. I'm I'm running to the. We got the Coldy out of the ice house, but yeah. um, Strackwitz is an amazing amazing life. Uh, so, you know, I mean, I'm going to talk about him real quick. Yeah, do so. Our Hooli was an amazing label, too. An amazing label. And it's all like, I mean, I, I'm just going to read the Wikipedia okay. paragraph because there's no, really nothing quite like this. Okay. Chris Strachwitz, I mean, S T R A C H W I T Z. I only, I thought he was like an American guy that just like, Traveled around the South and discovered things, but he wasn't. He was a he was German born, and then he became an American record label and executive and record producer, the founder and president of Arhuli Records, which he established in 1960, mm-hmm. which became one of the leading labels recording blues, Cajun, Norteño, and other forms of roots music, including like he got really at the end he got into like kind of like metalish gospel and stuff. <laughs> really, but but like. He, his family, like uh, they were a, a, a aristocratic farm owners with some American, uh, some American people in their family, and his mother 
his mother's grandfather was a U.S. senator. Wow. Okay. And then in 1945, under the terms of the Potsdam Agreement, after World War II, he and his family were among the millions of German-speaking people forcibly resettled to the west of, excuse my pronunciation, the Oder-Neisse line, which became the eastern boundary of Germany. Hmm. Strack Fitz's family uh, settled temporarily with relatives in Braunschweig in the British zone of Allied-occupied Germany, where he first heard swing music played on Armed Forces Radio. In 1947, they emigrated to the United States, first in Reno, and then to Santa Barbara. So, he, mm-hmm. like, he, did, he didn't go to the South. Yeah. Okay. No. And then he went to Kate School, which is where Stephen Malkmus went to school. Huh. Stephen actually got kicked out of Kate <laughs> and uh, for drinking on the roof. And he then he became interested in jazz after see, seeing the movie New Orleans starring Billie Holiday and Louis Armstrong and began collecting jazz records. He stated in a 2010 interview, the rhythms haunted me. I hear all this stuff on the radio and it just knocked me over. I thought this was the most wonderful thing I had ever heard. Hmm. So he spent, he went to Pomona College. Yeah. And, and then he started visiting jazz jazz clubs in LA and saw things like Lightning Hopkins, Highland Wolf. And then he started like, then it became a, a United States citizen was drafted in the army, was stationed in Austria and he'd see touring jazz shows. And then he, then he made a trip to Houston, right? Mm-hmm. Visit, visiting Lightning Hopkins. And then he just went to work. I mean, like our Hooli is just like, yeah, I mean, I mean like, <clears throat> The mountain of work. I mean, like, it's got to be the greatest record label of all time. Wow. That's that's saying a lot. <clears throat> I mean, it is in a lot of ways. Like, as a historian, like, uh, I mean, you know, he's he, he's a lifetimer. Like, he's a total, like, Blues Hall of Famer. A guy born near the Germany-Poland line who first heard this stuff, like, in wartime radio. And somehow worked himself to California. Right. He's like you know, kind of like the least likely guy ever to be in the Blues Hall of Fame. <laughs> but he more than like he more than earned his spot. Sure. I mean, like sure, sure. Yeah. I mean, like the the things that he you know recorded, field recordings, all kinds of stuff, and then presented to to people like us. Yeah. It's just mind blowing, and, and you know, Clifton, Clifton is is one of them. Clifton, you know, Mississippi Fred McDowell put out a bunch of his records. Mm. Have we played any Mississippi Fred? I don't think we have. Oh, yeah. I don't have the list in front well, of me, well, Mike. I got it sitting out here with a okay. lantern, but that's okay. Well, well, we'll we'll have to play some if we haven't. Uh, of course, Booker White, who we pr- played recently. Oh, Booker, my yeah. God, yeah, that's uh, one of the kings of our Huli. Great, yeah. great label. Um, yeah, I mean, right up there with Folkways, a lot of those classic album or labels, but he. Like you said, continued on, and uh, you know, I think they were. I mean, I, I think I first came across our Huli in the '90s, '80s, late '80s and '90s, and you know, they were releasing like you know current stuff that wasn't. It wasn't like just an archive label. Um, well, here's what he did, though. I think a like lot of those. 1995 and 1995, he formed the Arhuli Foundation. To quote, document, preserve, present, and disseminate authentic, traditional, and regional vernacular music. 
the foundation owns his his collection called the Frontiera Collection, which is, I guess, where his family first settled in California, com- comprising 44,000 commercially issued phonograph records of Mexican-American and Mexican vernacular material issued between 1906 and 1990s, which are now hmm. in the process of being digitized. Hmm. I mean, That's the guy awesome. was like, you'll never... He's like one of the greatest curators of music of all time. Right. I mean, right. Yeah. He's Otherwise, one of the most important, like he's not a household name. Right. Otherwise this know. stuff would have been lost. We'd never have heard it. 44,000. Yeah. I mean, like, I mean like four, four, four would be a, like, you know, if you had four, I, I'd tip my cap. <laughs> 44,000. I mean, mind blowing. So anyway, is that amazing? I, I, excuse my music history moment. And like instead of me telling the story, I decided to to you know read it to you off of his Wikipedia page. But like, not only do I tip my cap to the genius of Clifton Chenier and his ability to sing and play the accordion at the same time, yeah. But you know, also like you know the person that like you know the person that went that really brought his music to light. Fantastic, thank you, Bob. I wasn't familiar with his his the backstory of our Huli, so. Well, I'm like you got to keep in mind, like we could do a whole show, we could do a series of shows about our Huli records. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm going to hopefully you know preface that for the next millennium. Yeah. All right, I'm going to go a different route now. I imagine so. <laughs> I'm going to go to the UK. Uh, early '90s. A band called the Faith Healers. Do you know the Faith Healers? Yeah, no, yeah. Um, uh, and I'm going to actually play a cover. Play their cover of Can. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. So the Faith Healers, they were on Too Pure, which of course was Great known. label. Yeah. And this album came out in 1992. Lido is the name of the record. came out the same year as uh, when Too, Too Pure released Dry by PJ Harvey and Pang as well as switched on by Stereolab. But the Faith Healers were Good actually Good times were too pure. Yeah, Faith Healers were actually the first band on to They were pure. strong. Yeah. So here you go. This is their version Mother Sky, the Faith Healers. Oh, Mother Sky. Yeah. Here you go. Oh, what a tough dog.
Mother Sky, Faith Healers. Whoa. 1992, Too Pure. Good version of. Good yeah. version of. Good band. I mean, I think they're a band that, you know, of course, Too Pure was a great label, uh, great indie label of the era, and of course remembered for PJ Harvey and Stereolab. I think a lot of people forget bands like Faith Healers and even Moonshake. Do you remember Moonshake? Oh, I played with them so many times. Yeah. They were so great. They were an have early. I, have I not played them? I don't. I don't know if you have. They were an early two pure band. Um, they were so good. Yeah. Same. Margaret. Margaret. Same scene. Yeah. You haven't played Moonshake. You should play Moonshake. No, I'll, you, I'll tell you about Moonshake on a future show. Future show. There you go. Oh, but like you know, like Faith Healing. Like I think that band hurt themselves with the name the. What was with the T H apostrophe? <laughs> I don't Faith know. Thing. I like, don't know. I don't know, man. There was. It was. You know. I think it was that era of. Because uh, like faith healing, like in general, is like a weird practice. Right. Right. Well, I mean, I think there was an it's era. Like the hand on the forehead, like you know, cancer's gone. Totally. Kind of thing, you know. Totally. I mean, there, there and was, like in England, they call Christianity like they called. It's like we say Christian. They say Christian. 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 Huh. Uh, Which actually is like a huge difference maker for me. Yeah. I mean, just because like, it's almost like, uh, I don't know, just like in general as an American, like Christians, you know? Yeah, right. I mean, like, that's so vague. I'm not going to get into it. I'm not going to get into religion on this show. (laughs) Please don't. I mean, like, (laughs) not in a million years. (laughs) Uh Nor do I actually have any formative thoughts about any of it, but like, I would never call anything I was a part of about a religious experience. <clears throat> right, right. Yeah, and, and I don't even know what the... Especially if you're like, you're like the faith healers, like in North London. Right. Like in, in the early 90s, making like Krautrock-influenced like indie rock. Right, right. Because that's yeah. what they were doing, quite For frankly. sure, for sure, yeah. And, I mean, to, to the extent where they're covering can. Yeah. You know? Yeah, on their first record. So, yeah, I mean. I mean, sadly, like, that's actually their principal moment. I actually would have appreciated it if you would have played, like, an original, but I'm not going to ask you to double bubble, but, like, I mean, like, just being, like, a band that could properly do, like, a great version of Mother Sky. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. They they were. And, like, you know, Roxanne, she could sing, you know, like, you know, I, I think they kind of, like, I think they just kind of like underestimated themselves. I think they they sort of did. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, and they're a bit forgotten, but they're uh, they're enjoyable. So they are forgotten, but they are great. Yeah. And here's another band that's forgotten and still great. Yeah, Game Theory. Game Theory, Davis, California. I played. I played. Uh, oh, Davis! Come on, you know Davis. You know Frontier Records and yeah. all that. Yeah. I played Lucinda last. Say? I was. I played Lucinda last show. I played a, a show, a song from her performance well, in Davis. That. Yeah, she played in Davis, live in Davis. I played a song from there. So you're playing a band from Davis now. There's the I'm connection. Playing Game Theory, Scott Miller. Yeah. This is a, a real nighttime. I think it's like, uh, what do you think? Like '94. Yeah. Real nighttime. Real nighttime. That's the album, right? 
Friend yeah. of the family. Great album. Great live band. I saw this yeah. band four times live. I'd road trip to see this band because they were so good live. Did they ever they play with Thin Right? They, they must have played with Thin Right White Rope, right? Naturally, but like not in Richmond. They, they would play yeah. in Richmond. I don't remember them in Charlottesville, but like we'd always road trip to Richmond to see Game Theory because they were a fantastic now, live so, band. And this is one of the highlights of our set. Friend of the family off of uh, Real Night. Real Night to yeah. 1985, not, not 90. Oh, I'm sorry, 85. 85. Sorry, yeah, I yeah. was a kid. There you go. I'm about 10 years off with everything That's tonight. Okay. I was about 80 years off with uh, <laughs> Cliffs and Chenier or something, so. That's fine. Anyways. Game theory. This yeah. is for Laura Anderson, my friend Laura Anderson. Yeah. Friend of the, friend of the family. She's a friend of my family. All right. Enjoy.
Game Theory. Scott Miller. You there, Bob? Yeah, I'm there. Yeah, I had to like unmute my microphone. <laughs> so like that was like power pop in the eighties. <clears throat> For sure. You know, it's like, it, did you buy that compilation Enigma Variations? Uh, yeah, sure. Because that was like a big label. Like to me, that yeah. was like um, yeah, that was on Enigma. Like Scott Miller, <clears throat> yeah, Enigma, big time, real nighttime. Yeah, eighty five. Thanks for correcting me on that. Because like I was like eighteen, nineteen, <laughs> and we would road trip to see that band, and they would just like they practiced hard, they played hard, like they were so charming. Yeah. Lolita and Miller, Nation. like to me, is like like uh, you know, because Davis is like kind of like Stockton, but like slightly better. <laughs> well, it's, it's College Town too. Yeah, yeah. So Stockton, so like the, there's similarities. Like yeah, but it was like uh, I never really asked uh, Stephen about game theory. I bet he knows. I don't think him. he went to their shows. Like it was me and my my one of my dear friends from college, Rich Walker, great guy, and like we were such huge fans. So was Laura it's, Anderson. It's interesting to me that you're a big fan of Game Theory, but you don't like Big Star because they cover Big Star on that record and hugely influenced by Big Star. But at the same time, and I I understand that, but I told you this many times. I never really had a chance to see Big Star. Like right. I, I never really um, no one, at the time not when really I was a many kid. Did. Yeah, I, I just didn't pay much attention to music that happened before I had a chance to see bands because all I cared about was seeing bands. Okay. So like, if, like the best I could get out of Big Star was seeing Game Theory. That's like the best version I was going to get. And you preferred Game Theory because you could see him live. Oh well, yeah, because I I love to see I I love to see bands perform. Okay, that makes sense. Oh yeah, I'm like you know, but they're a great band. Yeah, and they're in right and totally yeah. forgotten. Yeah, like big for sure. star, like legends, like right. You know, they're legends. Yeah, you know, like Game Theory is like a completely forgotten band. Yeah, I I heard of them in the late '80s because that's when I was getting into REM and. You know, Mitch, Mitch Easter was recording them. They were kind of connected to R.E.M. tangentially. At least they were they were uh, fellow travelers musically. Um, so yeah, I but think, R.E.M. was always on such a higher plane, like Game Theory. Sure. Just like DBs, just sure. like DBs. Yeah, just like the DBs. You just wanna... like the DBs, like uh, and Fetch and Bones, and mm-hmm. like all the bands, like Game Theory, and, and at the time, the Dream Syndicate, you know. Sure. But, you know... Yeah, all those Before, bands late late eighties. That's that's how I got into them. Is it was like early, but they were early mid late eighties bands, and they were like sort of like the industry at the time was just like we're looking for like REM had a huge influence on all that. Right, they did, but none of them really hit as as big as REM did. They all tried well, because of like Athens and because yeah. of like you know REM's like you know they're pretty magnanimous band. Yeah. I mean, you know, they they were the 80s. They were like, I mean, I was born in 67. Like, I first heard R.E.M., like, Chronic Town when I was, like, 13. Right. And, like, I grew up in Richmond. Like, they introduced us to bands like, they, like Game Theory. They did. 
they, they and, and you know like they would tour with these bands they would take them they would promote them they would they would expose them to audiences um, oh they had like gang of four would open for them yeah yeah i mean they they'd cover all these bands that they loved they would play with all these bands that they loved yeah rem for me you know i cuz i i'm 4 years younger than you so i got into rem when i was probably like 13, 14, mid-80s, and, uh, you know, that's how I got into a lot of these other bands. That's how I heard, first heard Mission of Burma. They, they covered Mission of Burma. That's how I first heard, like, geez, even even Velvet Underground. I'd never heard Velvet Underground. Oh, no, yeah, exactly. Until R.E.M. Until like, R.E.M. introduced covered. our generation to all these amazing bands. Yeah, yeah. Because I, like, I didn't have Chronic access to Town, Murmur, yeah. Reckoning, and then they opened the doors and, yeah. like, I don't think they really get their just due for that. I think well, people just take REM for what they are. Right. They don't realize that like that they introduced people like us right. four and a half years apart, like you said, to so much amazing music, including right. like, you know I mean it, and I'd heard of Gang of Four simultaneously, but the fact that they were like bringing Gang of Four over. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Like, sure. post-entertainment, like, it was yeah. a different era of Gang of Four. It was, like, uh, Solid Gold or something. Right. The Sarah Lee era. I mean, it was, you know, it, you know, their contribution to, like, my life will never be underestimated. Like, I mean, Gardening at Night, whatever, like, yeah. all those records. Like, sure. To me, like, that's, like, in our own minds, like, kind of, I'll speak for myself, what, what kind of, like, made me feel like I was like cool growing up in Richmond. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean yeah. and and for me it was it was twofold. It was it was finding REM and enjoying their music, but it was also finding all of the music that REM was trying to expose me to through their covers. Oh, Minutemen like, through Minute the bands they sure. played with. Meat puppets. Oh yeah, all of that. It was it was really opening doors for me and REM, I mean, I enjoy their music now. I don't listen to them that much. However, their influence on my musical taste. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Their influence on my musical taste cannot be underestimated. No way. It all goes back to REM for me. And I wonder who was behind it. Like, I wonder, like, whether it was, you know, Michael Stipe or, like, Peter Buck or, like, uh, What's the name of their manager? REM's manager. Oh yeah, Jefferson. Like a, Jefferson. Uh, yeah, there's Jefferson. There's another guy. I can't remember the name uh, off the top of my head. Right. 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 Yeah. But like. Anyway, it's. Yeah. REM. Keep in mind, there's no emailing here. There was like international sure. phone calls, like yeah. you know, like yeah. long distance and stuff. Like a lot of lot of tapes being made, <laughs> burned. Pretty interesting, copy. like. Uh, REM's like to me. I grew up in the American South, like in Richmond, like you know, and 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 the, the great thing about Richmond is that we had like a tremendous SST connection. We had a bunch of like great rock clubs and a lot of really bad neighborhoods. And, like, you know, things would come through there. Yeah. I mean, things and still. I mean, like everything happens in Richmond still now today. Like just like DC or Chicago. Like if you're living in Richmond right now, like you're looking at a calendar. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. 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 It's like Portland. It's like Portland. Like, you know, 
bands come through. Yeah, yeah it's great. Uh, all right, I'm going to completely switch gears. I'm going to go well, back. That was an interesting tip of the cap to a lot of important things. It but. was. It was. We 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 had a nice digression there. I like that. Uh, but I'm going to go. I'm going to go way back into the '50s, and I'm going to go to New York. In uh, New York for a bit, Hoboken for a bit. Uh, wow. Yeah, Moondog. You know Moondog? I know of him. Moondog. Moondog was crazy. I mean, how do you describe Moondog for somebody that doesn't know? You know, he was. He was this kind of larger than life, like kind of white man version of Sun Ra in a way. Uh, homeless, like the street performer, but he was also being recorded by major labels. Uh, so yeah, this is some stuff from the 50s. I mean, his his stuff got covered by Janis Joplin, Big Brother and the Holding Company. Uh, so I'm going to play some of that from that era this is he was a blind man blind man yeah blind homeless man just like crazy outfits on the street playing music uh in new york in the 50s just a busker man yeah but but amazing songwriter and he was playing he was playing jazz this is this is from um from the 50s this is from a compilation called the viking of Hold Sixth on, how Avenue. about his outfit like his outfit's yeah. legendary. Out- outfit's insane. I mean, just like just a crazy, the kind of personality you'd only see in New York, you know. So, uh, well, back then for sure. Yeah. I don't know if you see it now. Maybe. I, I think I don't know. I think they'd probably jail Moondog. Could be. I don't know. Yeah. Um, no, you're, t- you're talking pre-Giuliani in New York. Yeah. This is this yeah. is fifties. This is it's Moondog. Uh, oh, way pre-Giuliani. I'm gonna play a couple because they're short. So first I'm going to play one that's kind of more of a jazz song. You know, it's like catchy little tune, delicate, but intricate. This one's called Rabbit Hop, Moondog.
So I called that delicate. I, I, I guess I probably used the wrong word. That was. It, I, I should have said straight. No, no, definitely not delicate. Straightforward. That, that that's, that's a stomp. America's shit, man. That's, that's a stomper. Yeah, that, that's Sixth Avenue, man. Yeah, but but it's it's he's considered midtown. Midtown. He's considered an avant-garde artist. I think partly because you never knew what you were going to get, but the music was always very relatable. At least I thought like. He he wasn't that out there musically. Um, he was a street man. Yeah, but but like He's a Kansas guy. Celebration of life. I mean, here I'm a, I'll play this one. This one this one has lyrics. It's short, less than a minute long. It's called "Be a Hobo." You know this one? He was just like go yeah, go be New York. Yeah, like, you know. Yeah, be a hobo. He celebrated the hobo lifestyle. <laughs> That's what they called it back then. They didn't call it homeless. They called it hobo. So here you go. Be a hobo. But you still call it that. <laughs> Be a hobo, moon dog. Nineteen fifty three. This came out in nineteen fifty three. So this is you know, before like, crack, before oxycontin, and before meth. It's yeah. When they just like even even before there's hippies. heroin around, but like even before moon dog. He lived. He lived to. He lived old. He, he lived. A, he lived a long life. Um, long life. Kansan, man. Even before he, hippies and beatniks, he was he was living the hobo lifestyle. The freak on the streets. Yeah, Moondog, be a hobo. Be a hobo and go with me from Hoboken to the sea. And go with me, a hobo, and go with me. Something very sweet and pure about his stuff. Very simple, but very, I don't know, straight ahead, enjoyable. So it was like, like a, definitely like American Indian music. He was a percussion guy. Yeah, yeah. A lot of rhythms, a lot of odd rhythms, but also like the, the stuff he was doing with the vocals and the layered vocals. I mean, in the 50s, that was... I can't think of anybody that, that was doing stuff like that. Well, I'm not going to carve my way into his mind. No, um, but because that's that's a whole different. I, place. I don't have much much else to say about Moondog. I mean, Moondog's he's a legend, and if you don't know him, dig in because. Well, I think you just introduced us to him. There's a lot of our, great our, stuff. And like in my case, reintroduced. I've forgotten about him. He reminds me, and I'll play some at some point in later shows he reminds me of harry parch a lot harry parch was um i think moondog is considered more jazz harry parch is considered more classical but they were similar like they lived the hobo lifestyle they were complete iconoclasts back before they even had the term iconoclast um i i, I just love them both amazing musicians so i'll play some harry parch later it's like this this show has gotten very um, vocabulary-oriented, <laughs> uh, vernacular and iconoclast. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. All right. Anyways. What, what are you doing now? 
the hell am I gonna do? Hold on, real quick. You gonna do? You gonna do Phantom Tollbooth? Right? Yeah, gonna, I'm gonna do Phantom Tollbooth. I'm gonna do a double bubble. You gonna do double? Okay, that's okay, good. I'm gonna introduce a new section of the show. It's called the the Phantom Repeater. Okay. And I've never played Phantom Tollbooth before. Celebrate the brilliance of Dave Rick. Yeah, he, like good band, Homestead band. Oh, I mean, like, you know, Dave Rick, his contribution to, like, a lot of things is amazing. One of the greatest guitar players in in, the, in New York City history. And this is uh, off of one of his uh, first bands, I believe, the Phantom Tollbooth, Valley of the Guanjai. Valley of the Guanjai? 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 Guanjai, I would guess. Yeah. In, in real early, quick, early Homestead 7-inch. You know, Dave you, Rick. You know where Phantom Tollbooth got their name, right? Yeah, from, like, a children's book. Yeah. I think it was Roll Doll. And, and Valley of the Guanche is like a weird movie from the late 60s. Yeah. So, pop culture dude. Here you go. Well, yeah, but like obscure 60s pop, pop <laughs> yeah. culture. Yeah, yeah. To- totally. All right, Phantom yeah. Tollbooth. Here you go.
Phantom Tollbooth, classic stuff. I only have their first EP. Uh, well, that's plenty. Self-titled, right? Yeah, um, so I don't, I don't know much about them. Uh, I mean, I I know of well them. Dave Rick. You know, he was in Ball. It was like a huge, like he was the go-to shimmy disc guy. Okay, Ball, right. Bongwater, King Missile. He was a huge part of the early Tango records. He uh, was right in there with the Shrammer. Yeah, Dave Shram. Sure. Yep, got it. Uh, a band you've never heard, like when people were sure to live near the water, right? Oh yeah, I remember that. I remember that band. Yeah. yeah. He's still going. He's like, I imagine he's out in Brooklyn somewhere. And there was a guy like George Smith who, like, I knew um, when I lived in New York. He was like uh, delightfully annoying. Yeah. He'd always like kind of like like pester Gerard Cosley. Like that was a weird thing. Like, what about us? Like, they were totally they were totally overlooked. Yeah. Um, right. And and but that was their first seven inch Valley the Guanchai, which like. Uh, they actually their most successful song is like a, a it's I've never heard a band do this yeah like re- revisit a song and change the lyrics and make that like another song and I think that was on one way conversation and then like um, they were sort of championed like uh, in the early two thousands by Bob Pollard from Guided by Voices. He like sort of reassembled them to like do a version of Power Toy, which was their album from the late eighties. They got no like I mean they're like the worst selling homestead band of all time. <laughs> right. And like and like Dave Rick was he's still going. Like he's just like the go to guitarist in the New York City Metropolitan era as I speak. Yeah. The guy's just like a wizard. Right, it's like, and he's like, uh, I mean, he's whatever. I mean, I've seen him play like twenty shows. Like, he's brilliant. He's a pretty guitar player. Huh? Yeah, I, I need to I need to dig more deeply because I they're a band that I've always been familiar with, but never really knew that well. So, well, I mean, like, you know, actually, I have to dig more deeply. There's like. There's only, only three or like four eight albums. great songs, but you I, know. But I only knew that one EP that I had, so I hadn't even heard I, that song you played. I'm gonna keep it in the same era because I'm like, you know, I'm trying to pretend that I'm 19 again, even though I'm 52. It's okay. And I, I think I'm like episode 28. I played the DBs. We're talking about REM earlier. We, yeah. You know, and this is like a just a great well-crafted pop song from the same era mid 80s yeah this is the dbs i bought this yeah uh, thanks to rem's recommendation i bought this record mm-hmm. yeah re- repercussion oh they're so good live yeah because these are the bands that would come through charlottesville and richmond yeah when i was a kid it's like holy shit the dbs are playing we're going cool and like and they would play amplifier so an amplifier is a great song so play it for us mike let's, let's do it
So that's what happens when, like, you you grow up in Winston Salem, and you move to New York City in the in the late seventies, and you've got songs, mm-hmm. and you form your band like Whole Sapple Stamey, mm-hmm. and you talk about big star like oh yeah, they were big 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 star fans for sure. Well, I think you know, you know, and Gene Holder, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, but they were just like. Uh, a wicked live band. I'm sure. I'm sure. Just like tear the house down kind of live band. That's a happy little song with some very dark lyrics. Oh, I think that I don't think the lyrics are actually that dark. I think like uh, he didn't actually kill himself. It was just like he killed himself by just getting getting a mess. Well, okay. He just got in a mess. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I guess you're taking the uh, glass half full view. <laughs> the glass three quarters full. <laughs> okay, three quarters. Fair enough. Fair I enough. mean, I don't know these guys. Me neither. You know, like Stamey, like he played with Alex Chilton, all those people, and you know, oh. on television, like the guys around. Stamey's a legend. Chris St- Stamey's a legend. Stamey, he did some great solo records in the late seventies. Have yeah. you heard any of that Oric stuff? I think you played some. Yeah, Orc Records. Hey, Jay, you've definitely played, you know, definitely played Chris Stamey. Oh, yeah. I mean, Orc Records, classic, classic stuff. Um, Would have been, like, at the same time, like, you know, Whole Sapple. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, to me, like, they kind of were a big star, and like, but I could see them. Sure. And then, sure. like, Al... Chilton's like somebody that like I never listened to, other than the huge hits you can't like avoid, because like at the time I was a teenager in Charlottesville, new from Richmond to Charlottesville, when I went to school, and like he was just like uh, I never encountered him in in my life, but like you know people just said he was really mean, but yeah. like uh, the DBs weren't right, you know. So it's one of those kind of things. That's fair. And Will Rigby, like, you know, fantastic. Right. Right. And that solo record he did is quite good. No, it's like brilliant people from North Carolina, like, who moved to New York in the late 70s. Right. They they probably saw Moondog. Yeah. I mean, mean, yeah, so, like... I moved to New York in 1989, and, like... uh, and then David Berman and Steve Malkmus moved there soon after, but that's 11 years after, like, these guys, like, you know, they were New York City. Right. You know, know, we transplanted from, like, Charlottesville after finishing school, but, like, they're from Winston-Salem, like, I mean, I made Bright in the Corners, like, not far from, I didn't make it, but, like, I was there for it at, you know, Mitch Easter's house, like, in Mm. Kernersville, but, like, you know, Winston-Salem, there's not much to it, like, Less than Charlottesville. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the 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 uh, maybe I'll play something from this. N- not tonight because we kind of digressed a few times. But uh, well, the orc course, orc, orc records. Uh, you know, was a label it released the first television seven inch. Released the first Feely seven inch. They re- released a Richard Bangs record, or sorry, Lester Bangs record. Yeah. They released some Richard Hell stuff. They released Alex Chilton after after the big star and before he put out some of his solo records. They they released early Chris Stamey and the DBs. 
They tried um, really hard to be like, you know, Arhulish. Yeah. For the for the late seventies New York scene. The mid seventies. It's kinda like power pop, isn't it? Like Um, yeah. It's like power pop to me like, you know, has a bad connotation, like as a genre. Like it's like indie rock is like a huge umbrella, but like power pop is like you think what do you think when you hear the term power pop? Super tramp? Yeah, it's it's a little it's I mean a it's such dismissive. an unfair genre. Yeah, it's a little dismissive. It's fair. It's true. I mean, um, like, basically, people are playing Power Pop tonight, everywhere, and, like, some of it's good and a lot of it's bad, but, like, I mean, like, we're Fleetwood Mac, like, Power Pop at times, like, you I know, guess. It's, like, it's the worst genre in music right. history, Power right. Pop. Right, right, it's, it's not descriptive, that's for sure. Um, that's, like, yeah, indie rock is, like, not descriptive either, because a lot of that was on major labels, you know. <laughs> that's true, that's true. I mean, well... I'm gonna shake it up. I'm gonna change it up, and I'm gonna end. You're gonna end the show. I'm gonna end it. I'm gonna end it strong. I'm gonna go back to the '60s. I'm gonna go to Queens, Jamaica, Queens. In fact, I so I keep going south. You keep going back up north. I'm going. I'm going back to Jamaica, Queens. It's back. We're just like driving up up and down I-95. Yeah, yeah. So this is even uh, though I try to go game theory, went across I-80. Right. Right. We're on the highway, man. That's we're on right. the highway. It's it's all it's in in Amer- if we're staying in America, we're go- we're on we're on some highway, for sure. Interstate highway system. So uh, this is a band called the Exciters. Uh, okay, I've never heard of this. Never heard of they're, this. They're they're uh, girl group. Um, Brenda Reed, Carol Johnson, Lillian Walker, Herbert Rooney. The one guy. Um, they were around in the 60s. This is from an album released in 1969. This is the lead track from it, 1969. The album, by the way, greatest name for an album ever. Come on. It's called Caviar and Chitlins. Caviar and Chitlins, all right. That's, I mean, you want to, you want to, he, like, you think about... Like, let's describe what an album sounds like. Have you ever like. had either? No. Had either. No, but... I don't think I've ever had caviar. No, but... but. And you, then chitlins, like... When I lived in Nashville, there was a soul food place that would do chitlins. And, like, I've never had chitlins. If, if you think about it, though, caviar and chitlins, right there, that tells you what is inside this record. It tells you it's highbrow, it's lowbrow, it's all I like, kinds. The, I like where you're going. Here. Yeah. So uh, anyway, this this is a burner. This is this is called blowing up my mind. The exciters. Uh, oh, my blowing! Yeah, the, the, we started with Chris Strockwitz. You know. the, this is the way to end a show. Hope you like this. Thanks, Bob. Here you go. Thank the, you, Chris Strackwitz. Thank you, Mike Hogan. The exciters, three songs pod.
the exciters. Thanks, Bob. Hold on now, Mike. Hold on. <laughs> so, like, you're the promoter, right? Uh-huh. And you're missing Queens, because that's a Queens band. Yeah. Okay, so, like, and, like, you got Cliff and Chenier and the exciters. Who are you putting on first? <sighs> what are you doing? Uh, like, you got, like, a club that holds, like, 500 people. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, Queens, I'm gonna, you put on first. I'm going to play the Exciters because I think they will get people going immediately. Clifton yeah. Chenier, Chenier, however you say it, he will keep people going Chenier. longer. Chenier. I like that. I like that. Good show. Yeah. Thanks, man. See you in episode 100, man. That's right. Thank episode you. 100. Thank you. I appreciate your patience. Coming always. soon. You too. Thank yeah, you. Love you, mate. Look after yourself. Great show. Thanks. Thank you.